Today we continue a series called uh, Spirit, Soul, Body, and uh, the sermon today is called Body Breakthrough. Uh, we're preaching primarily of a number of different texts, but two I want to highlight here to get us started. The first is from 1 Corinthians 6. You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. And from 1 Kings, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. He just had one of his greatest spiritual victories in all of the Old Testament, but he's tired, and he ran for his life. He's fearful. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, and then he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush. He sat under the bush, and he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush, and he fell asleep. And all at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over coals and a jar of water. And he ate and drank, and then he fell asleep again. And then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, and he ate, and he drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave, and he spent the night. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Will you pray with me now? Jesus, would you take this moment in time here, and would your spirit fill this room? Would you encounter the women and men that that call this church home? Would you meet and grace the people that are just checking this place out because they're curious about an expression of faith where they can encounter more of you? God, we long to experience you this morning. And so break through the busyness, break through the fatigue, Break through the worries, break through all the things that we carried into this room so that your spirit can strengthen us in our bodies. We love you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Spirit, soul, body, week five, body breakthrough. This is the challenge of the whole series that we arrived to today, the spirit of God breaking through our bodies. Turn to somebody on your left and right and just ask them this question. Do you need a breakthrough in your body? Just look at them. Say, do you need a breakthrough in your body? And then just go ahead and state your thing. Just look at them and say, I need a breakthrough in my body. I need a breakthrough. This is what it's been about. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, may may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been in this series trying to encounter the way in which that in faith we receive the full gift of the Holy Spirit within us. But then our spirit has to pass through our soul. Our soul is our mind, will, and emotions and actually be felt in our bodies. That we're not just spirits floating around on clouds. We are human bodies where the spirit of God longs to live inside of us. And we've, we've shown circles, spirit, soul, body. We've shown triangles. Last week, Tudor and people came up like, it should be a river, or it should be a mountain. It should be concentric circles or overlapping. The problem with all of the imagery is we don't live in rings or triangles or rivers or overlapping rings. We're these human beings. And each one of us has, you know, kind of the, the soul that we have. Hungering for more of God's spirit, the bodies that some of us feel like they're more rapidly decaying than in a previous season. Many of us are tired and fatigued, and we're aware that 
Like Micah said in that first block of worship, the enemies that beset us aren't necessarily across the world. Oftentimes, they're distraction, their joylessness, their anxiety. And so if we're going to be people of faith, we need to hunger for a breakthrough. And as leaders in our church, we're hungering for the, for, for the spirit to break through that we as individuals and as a body of Christ would experience Christ's fullness, a breakthrough that we'd be so full of God's blessing that we would be a blessing into the world. Somebody recently brought to my attention that at Yale, the most popular class in its 316-year history is a class currently offered by sociologist Lori Santos, Dr. Santos, and the class is called Psychology and the Good Life. Currently, there are over, uh, there are over 1,100 Yale undergrads registered in this class. On campus, it's commonly referred to the How to Have a Happy Life class. How many of you would sign up for that class if you were on campus at Yale, the How to Have a Happy Life class? Yeah, right? Recently, an online platform called Coursera got, got hold of the content and offered it to free, and, and instantly, over a quarter million people signed up for Dr. Santos' class, How to Have a Happy Life. I've not sat through the class, but when I did some searching this week, what's staggering to me about a lot of the, the more cultural, you know, being, you know, this mindset and identity and, and meditation, these things that feel like cultural ideas, they're actually Christian principles. In Dr. Santos' class, some of the secrets to having the good life, she says, is meditation. We call that prayer. <laughs> it's powerful. She says in the class, be grateful. Well, as Christians, we're called to give thanksgiving, that God is this giver of grace and that everything we've had, we, don't, we didn't earn any of it. As Christians, we should be the most thankful people. In the class, she says the secret of happiness, one of them is, is serving others. We worship a high king of heaven who came down to earth and gave his life on a cross to serve others and beat the cross and resurrection, and then sent us when he resurrected in his body before ascending to heaven. He breathed his spirit on their bodies, read it in Acts, and then said, go, serve others. Don't be busy, but may you experience something so good in faith that you can't help but tell the next generation. It's amazing how to have a happy life. The gospel says in Christ, as the spirit breaks through our soul into our body, that we would have embodied faith, that we would live different. But here's the challenge for some of us. Like, all right, I'm in. Where do I sign up? The how to have a happy life at Bethany North thing. Is there a program? Certainly there must be a t-shirt coming my way, right, Pastor Scott? Listen, for some of us, To have an embodied faith, we're going to need to slow way down. Because if you're like me, we're not so bad as just busy. And we get going on working our way to more of God, working our way and working our way and doing our best and the There's always another mess at my hands, another job to do. I've got to provide the cost of living in this city, man. It's not resting. I'm upward and onward just trying to get by. 
But if we're going to be embodied creatures, we really need to learn to slow ourselves, to practice, as God gave in the scriptures, Sabbath rest, that we would, in our very embodied faith, declare that we don't earn anything, and so we sit back once in a while and receive what God wants to put in our hands. During my sabbatical, I've shared this before, but it's just super pertinent with this, is that one of the first things that God did in my sabbatical was really be present to me, and and this encouragement that um, God said to me, Scott, you can't do anything for me, you can do everything with me. And some of us in ministry, some young parents in the room, some of us in industry, man, we're just, we're out there trying to do things for Jesus or for somebody else or for, 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 and we're exhausted. And so today we get this teaching about embodied faith and needing to slow down. But I don't feel like a hypocrite because I hunger to live a slower life, but this is especially difficult. I like fast. I like hurry. I'm an Enneagram number three, which means I make a list every day and a great day I got them all checked off. I love that. I love to race Google Maps. I go to Bethany Green Lake at least twice a week and I put it in. I know it's ridiculous. And I'm like, I'm going to beat Google Maps. And if I get a minute or two, I'm like, oh, I beat the algorithm. Like it's, it's, it's a problem. I love to, I love to race. Recently, my son and I got to go to Las Vegas, and I wasn't super excited about Las Vegas. I was really excited to spend time with him. But when I found out we were going to race go-karts together, I was like, that will be awesome. And so all the soccer boys and all their soccer dads wanted to race. This, I mean, it was incredible. We got to you know, dress up like race car drivers. This is Kikade bombing around the tracks. You see the strip there in the background. And it was incredible. One of the things, you know, is like the dads are like, oh yeah, I don't even care about like, are you going to go? I'll probably go. Not a big deal. Every one of us like, I want to beat you. The other soccer dads, you know, and you get behind the, the, the wheel and like pretty quickly, like in the first turn, man, you go full out all the time. You don't win the race. You, you drift, you spin out. I mean, I, I had this happen. I got like around third curve and I'm like, I think I'm beating these other dads. Like, yeah, in your face. And then I kind of drifted and then bam, this guy like just smashed me, go-kart. Just like my body hurt for the day. I mean, you, we can't, we can't always move at the pace of hurry. Some of you, this is an easier teaching. Some of you are like, whoo, I'm off the hook because I don't hurry that much. It's not my thing. God might use you to bless people around you. We're going to talk about Moses and Jethro in a bit. We need truth tellers. We need people that model in their spiritual practices how to live into the grace that God wants to give. Our big idea today is pretty simple, that your body belongs to you given by God to experience his spirit. And so our faith is meant to be embodied, that our faith is meant to live in our bodies, that our life would be different because of Jesus, and our our body is the, the holy ground, to use the Old Testament language, where the Spirit of God is lived out in the world. That yes, we have God's Spirit inside of us if we're Christians, but it's in our bodies and our practices of embodied faith where we get to experience more of God's grace and more of his rest, more of his peace in order to be a blessing into the world. 
So let's start here at the beginning. In Christ, we have a new identity, which is the Spirit of God. This is 1 Corinthians 6. I read a piece of it earlier. I'll read a little more now. And I've kind of redacted a bit. You can read all of 1 Corinthians 6 on your own. But let me just read you this. Paul says, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. That's huge. We get to discern what is beneficial to God's Spirit breaking through our body. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say foods for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also in our bodies. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. That's a promise. That's a declaration. If you're united in faith, if you said, yes, Jesus, live inside of me, you are one with him in spirit. It's signed, sealed, and delivered. But then Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. It's a staggering scripture for a couple of things. That promise in 17, the work, it's done. It's not ours. It's Christ. If you're ever here striving in a message, it's either bad theology or you're not hearing it correctly because it's all a gift. We have been bought by the blood of Christ. Full gift, full stop, period. Nothing you can do. So in faith, you have the full gifts of the Spirit. This should be easy. We're done here. You have the gifts. Just go. But why do we struggle? Why do we feel like there's enemies of anxiety and worry And, and, you know, it's great to have our junior high and high schoolers in the room right now because they'll tell you, man, it's worse at our age. It's not easier. Adults might look at adolescents and say, like, oh, those were the good old days. Talk to your teenager. Man, it's it's just struggle. Oh, yeah, I have the spirit, but then I walk into my classrooms and I feel oppression. I feel anxiety in my body. I feel worried. I see a church in a world that's divided and they're supposed to be united in Christ. I struggle here. So we have the full gift set, but, at the, but Paul says, how you live into this is what matters. It's, it's incredible. Verse 19, you are already a temple. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. So honor God in your bodies. This is really staggering. A temple in the Old Testament was what? It was where people went to worship God. You know, in the Old Testament, the whole Moses story, Exodus, they had the moving tabernacle. They didn't really have a temple. They get into Israel. It takes them a couple hundred years. And then finally, David wanted to build a temple to honor God. Remember, a temple is what? A place to honor God. David wanted to do it because he's the, you know, the, the king and been bestowed and God's anointed and all that. We love that story. That's a powerful uh, message in and of itself. David says, God, I want to do this thing. And God says, the things that you want to do is not always compatible with what I want to do through you. So be available. I didn't give you a job description. I gave you my spirit. And so when we start naming exactly what we want God to do, be careful. David, man, he fell into all of his own sin, but he wanted to build the temple and God said, not yet. We don't know God's timing. Why? Why wouldn't God, you would just, that doesn't make sense that, that God would let David build the temple. God is God. God's timing is sometimes a mystery to us. It's part of having faith that you would step into your life and say, I could tell God what to do if he would listen, but my life is a little different right now. Nevertheless, 
Solomon builds the temple. And when they build the temple, something incredible happens. This is 2 Chronicles 7.1. When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven, consumed the offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house, filled the temple. And so in the Old Testament, the temple was literally the place where God lived. But then this thing happened in Israel. We go to the temple to worship God. We go to the temple to worship God. We go home to do the rest of our life. We go to the temple to worship God. We go home. There's this division between the church or the temple and their life. And in Ezekiel, you can read in chapters 8, 9, 10, and 11 in Ezekiel, they're going to the building, they're going to the building, they're going to the building, but there's so much sin and brokenness, they're just going through their habits, they're not bringing their whole body to worship God, they're not actually having a breakthrough of God's spirit, they're not having more and more encounter, their faith is dead. And it says in Ezekiel 8, 9, 10, 11, it's haunting to me, that while they worshiped in the temple, God's glory removed itself. They were still going to the church services and having no glory. And some of you in the room are like, if I'm honest, I've been coming to church. I've been doing the thing. I went to the Bible study. I've even tried to do some of these practices. I'm missing the glory of God. Listen, pay attention to that hunger and name it and bring it to God and say, I want to experience your spirit in the temple. So in the Old Testament, God's spirit removed itself because the nation of Israel had kind of, you know, built all these walls up. They weren't offering their lives as whole sacrifices. They were just going through religion. God doesn't want us to be religious. He wants us to be faithful. I mean, when I was being raised, this text, your body is a temple, is like, ugh. That's like guilt and shame verses. Your body's a temple. It's like, ah, you know, I did that thing in my body, like, the, you know, and that's, we, we kind of raise kids like, don't smoke in the temple. Don't do things sexually immoral in the temple. Don't drink alcohol in the temple. But the problem is we get this disembodied faith where what Paul is saying here is your body is meant to be the place where you encounter the spirit of the living God. It's not meant like a guilt trip, it's meant as an opportunity. And Paul says, also know when you have sexual sin, it has extra impact on your body. But as you start to set up rooms in your temple where the glory can't inhabit anymore. Okay, this is now where it's starting to get interesting. What are you saying? If my body's a temple, but there's things that I'm doing <clears throat> that I know are outside of God's best for me, I'm creating rooms where God's not invited anymore. I'm creating little pockets, little, you know, one whole wing of the house, the backyard patio. This part's for me, God. You can have the whole temple on Sunday morning, but the stuff in my internet search bar, my language at the workplace or school, my anger, my lust, my greed, my pride, my hatred of the other, like that's a little room that I don't want you to inhabit. It doesn't work that way. In faith, we're called to be temples. And what God wants to do is dwell inside the temple to encounter the spirit. It's not meant as a guilt trip. It's meant as an opportunity. Paul's like flipping the script and saying, you are a temple. And so may you have a faith that comes alive in your body. May you in every day take habits where you're actually trying to encounter more and more and more of God's spirit. I talked about last week kind of a, a book that's been important to me on this search for identity stuff. It's The Gift of Being Yourself by David Benner. 
And Benner writes this, he says, we have focused on knowing God and tended to ignore knowing ourselves. The consequences have often been grievous. Marriages betrayed, families destroyed, ministry shipwrecked, and endless numbers of people damaged. I'll spare you the details, but all the time people are doing spiritual work and destroying their temple or destroying temples of other people. How? Because they get this disembodied faith. We're called to be obedient to God and to get back to encountering his power, which is his spirit, in our actual bodies. There's this story that my spiritual mentor uh, told me recently, told in a sermon, I'm repeating to you, it's another pastor, another denomination, doesn't necessarily matter which, but when he came to faith, he was one of these like kind of rags to riches faith story, way outside the gospel, and he heard the gospel, he started to read the Bible, he's like, I'm in, he would come every week to the Bible studies, come every week to the church service, and it seemed okay, but it seemed like it didn't have much power. Didn't see anyone getting healed. Didn't see anybody get anointed. Certainly not a lot of healing in the temple. And finally, he went to the pastor and he says, when do we get to do the stuff? The pastor's like, what stuff, son? You mean like volunteering after church or drinking coffee or eating a donut hole? He's like, no, the stuff, the stuff of the scriptures. People's lives changed. Freedom being found. Hope in Jesus being declared over any hope of this world. When do we do that stuff? And he was bummed when the pastor said, well, that was a long time ago. And he led his own people for a pursuit of more stuff. Ask me, says God, for more. I don't want you just to come to a school that's not even a temple itself. I want you to encounter my spirit in your body I want you to be blessed by my spirit so that you can be transformed. This is the point of the faith. But secondly, to do this, new practices are going to be necessary to break down our soul. This is the real work. Practices will be necessary to to break down our soul, to have more of God's spirit in our body. We're going to need to live different. I read that 1 Kings 19 passage. Let me read something again. Pretty powerful stuff. Elijah had just had his biggest spiritual victory, but he finds out that the power of the land is out for him, and so he runs. And then he says this in 1 Kings 19. He says, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life, Lord. I am no better than my ancestors. And I don't know about you, but I come to places where I'm like, I've had enough. I'm done. I can't, I can't do it anymore. It's too much. And this is Elijah's story. It's very human, very broken, very raw. He lays down under the bush and he's so exhausted he fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around and there by his head was baked bread over hot coals. And I love the scriptures here. It's like not just a cold piece of leftover pita bread that the angel found like back in Jerusalem. It's like this is fresh baked. This is like the angel brought a Traeger out to the wilderness. It's like smoked bread over coals and jar of cool water, you can almost imagine. He ate and he drank and he's so tired he lays down again. And the angel lets him sleep for a while. And then the angel came back and said, get up and eat for the journey's too much for you. This idea that our journeys would be too much for us is an interesting one. Elijah would, in fact, travel the 40 days from where he was at in the wilderness out to the mountain of God. But if he didn't drink water, if he didn't lay down and rest, if he didn't eat actual food, the angel is saying, you can't take the spiritual journey. 
We have in a modern church, we have so divorced body practices and spiritual practices that for some of us, we're trying really hard to get to the mountain of God, but it feels like too much. We're not eating well. We're not taking care of the body that God gave us. We're not sleeping. We're, we'll get up earlier. We'll try harder. We'll serve more. We'll do the things. We'll do it. We'll do it. And God's like, I don't need you to do it for me. I want to do it with you. It's just very practical here what the angel says. Good water, good food, a little rest. If you want to take this journey to where God wants to encounter you, you need to take care of your body. And there's both here sins of omission and sins of commission. What are the sins of omission? Well, Elijah is fearful and he's anxious, but clearly he's not eaten and he's not drank any water. He's not rested. He's, he's like sinning against his body. And the angel has grace for him, but just know when you're not taking care of the temple, like you can do that for a while, but the spiritual journey will be too much. Those are sins of omission. And there's also a warning of sins of commission. I, mean, I already kind of lifted up that thing where Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6 that sexual sins carry an extra weight. But pay attention. Your body is the encounter zone where the spirit of God wants to be lived out in you. And so whether it's just not taking good care of yourself or other habits of just like bad food or, or bad practices that are kind of, you know, kind of creating little rooms in your temple that God is uninvited to, pay attention. May you hunger for more of God's spirit in your body. Because as you pay attention, this is where our practices really matter. We have to practice our faith. We have to practice our faith. Oh, now you're saying something else. You're saying don't be busy, but practice our faith. I'm saying practice to slow down. Practice to slow down. When you literally open the scriptures for five minutes on the bus or in your driveway or right when you get to work or right when you wake up, something that works for you, right? When the kids are taking their first nap. Students, maybe it's after school, before bed. When you like just spend some time in scriptures, maybe it's one psalm, maybe it's one chapter of the gospels, or if you pray, I mean, physiological research is as you pray for others, you get more physiological peace. You actually, your peace increases as you pray for others. As you practice rest, you get to live into the fullness of God, how how God has created you. And it's practicing submission to Jesus. It's saying, Jesus, I'm not the savior you are, and so I wanna, I wanna practice resting. For me in my life, with four kids, with the church, man, I wake up, and if I don't get up early, it won't happen during the day. So you, there's no like, man, this Christian, the earlier you get, the better Christian you are. That's nonsense. But for me, if I don't get up in that five to six o'clock hour before lunches need to be made and kids driven to school and whatever else, and take even five to 10 minutes with Jesus in the scriptures, it's really hard to get that time later in the day. So I don't earn anything, but when I slow down and open the Bible and pray for my church and my family and my wife and my own soul, I'm reminded that God is at work in my temple. We need practices like that. Many of us, we, we just wanna, we wanna do stuff. We want God to just kind of anoint us with more gifts. I, I certainly, like you know, it's kind of my bent. I'm a, I'm a go-kart driver. I wanna go fast. It doesn't always happen. 
Heather and I, as our kids, we took a road trip in the, in the winter at Christmas break, and we got to worship at a church in Northern California that has a Friday night worship service. And it's a couple-hour worship service. It was really great, because worship really is the gateway towards encountering God. You might be like, well, I don't know how much this whole church thing matters. I could podcast or I can, you know, get a TED Talk, whatever. Something has always happened as God's people gather and worship. You see people that you don't know being commissioned to serve others. You hear a woman who has served Christ that's kind of stepping away from our work. Like, you're just part of the body of Christ. Worship is so important. So when you, when you come to church physically, you're, at, you're stating, like, I want God's spirit more in my temple. So we stopped at this place to worship, and they have a prayer ministry, and uh, I offered my wife, I'm like, I'll set you an appointment with this prayer minister, and uh, she's like, are you going to meet with the prayer ministers too? And I was like, yeah, totally. I wasn't, because I just was being dumb, and I was like, oh, I'm going to take care of the kids or do something. So we both signed up for prayer ministers for this ministry, this Sozo ministry. And, and in my mind, I just thought if I could just sit with a prayer minister, I could just ask for more God's anointing. I want more gifts. What gifts? Uh, prophecy, uh, tongues, uh, like, just like, God, would you just bestow more gifts on me? That's literally how shallow my prayer was. And as I went to this prayer ministry, she likened it to going into a cave, into the inner work of my heart. Because though I wanted God's blessing and external gifts, God wanted to heal some internal places inside of me. There's some forgiveness work that God wanted to do. And all the work we want to do above ground or outside our bodies, God wants to do first inside our bodies. So when we slow ourselves and humble ourselves before the Lord and open the scriptures and pray, we're not earning anything. We're just aligning ourselves with the Spirit saying, change me. Change me from the inside out. And I hope my life looks more gifted than it did a year ago, but I know that comes from a place of confession and brokenness and submission. We need practices to, to kind of aid in that. And two books I would highlight that have been really helpful this year for me. One is about practice-based faith. It's a worship pastor, Aaron Nequist. It's called The Eternal Current, How a Practice-Based Faith Can Save Us from Drowning, The Eternal Current. And this book has been really good for me. It's a Portland pastor called The Relentless Elimination of Hurry. And, and there's a story here I'm going to tell in just a moment. The, 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 not the Lutheran elimination. I love Lutherans. The ruthless elimination of hurry by a, a pastor by John Mark Comer. And why that matters is because the whole thing is spirit breaking through our bodies. The, bro, the body is the proving ground for our new identity in Christ's gl- glory. Like this is what it's always been about. The body breaking through. The body breaking through. More and more and more of the spirit. But we get, oftentimes, those of us in faith, we get busy, right? This haunting text in Exodus 18 has been really shaping me. Uh, it's a hard verse for me to digest, or passage of verses. Exodus 18, it's a story between Moses in the wilderness and his father-in-law, who sees God at work through Moses' busyness and holds him accountable. Jethro, the father-in-law, Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel and rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and to, who rescued his people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to the house that had treated Israel arrogantly. Jethro was like, wow, I saw the outside stuff. It's incredible. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, they brought, he brought a burnt offering. He's worshiping God. He brought other sacrifices to God. 
God. Aaron came, the priest, and all the elders to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. They have this amazing dinner party. God is at work here. This is incredible. The story continues. The next day in the afterglow, Moses gets up early. He's doing the work of God in an unsustainable fashion. He took a seat, uh, he took a seat for all that, uh, da, 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 to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. And when his father-in-law, who just yesterday has been like, wow, God's really worked. When he saw how hard Moses was working, he's confused. He, he says, what is this you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you? Like from morning till evening, what's going on? Moses answered him, it's because the people need me. They come to me to seek God's will. There's always more to do. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me. And I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. And Moses' father-in-law, and you have your Bible here. I want you to underline this or star it or, man, pay attention. Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, replied, what you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Oh my gosh, how convicting is this? He's like, it's too much. I know why you got started working in this fashion, but now it's, it's just too much. You can even with, with whole, you know, whole pursuits, trying to do good things, you can be so busy, you can miss out on how God actually wants to connect with you. And that's really where we need Jethro's in the world. We need Jethro's. For me, it's my wife who's like, another evening meeting, huh? Jethro, you know, elbows me. Like, like we need Jethro's. We need people that look at those in our small groups or in our families or roommates and just say, it feels like too much. Are you working for God or with God? Do you believe that God is powerful because you're acting in such a way that you have all the power? That's a word of conviction for me. It's so often, it's good intentions that get us working, and then these two things keep us from the promised land, fear and busyness. And next week, Pastor Anna's going to talk more about the body of Christ collectively, because there's so much application in this, but we really have to practice our faith. We have to slow down. We have to trust that God wants to work in us and through us, even when we rest. It's why, it's why the Sabbath commandment is part of the Ten Commandments. You're supposed to break. You're supposed to rest. We know the answer to this. We just need to practice. And the kind of foundational story for this orange book, The Relentless Elimination of Hurry, the author, a pastor in Portland, John Mark Comer, tells a retelling of a story from another pastor, John Ortberg, who was meeting with Dallas Willard, great theological leader and thought person and pastor. And Willard says... He says that you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Ortberg, the pastor, said, that's great. What other things do you have for me? He was going to write down like 10 pieces of advice. To which Willard says, there is nothing else. Hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Ortberg would later say, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It's just that we'll become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we'll settle for a mediocre version of it. We'll just skim our lives instead of actually living them. That's incredible and super challenging. Corey Ten Boom once famously said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll just make you busy. We need to practice letting the Lord be the Lord of our temples. 
I think the sins of omission and sins of commission have a word for everyone in the room. And so I want to ask you this question. I want to call our band up right now. What is one practice you'll do this week in your body to worship God? What is one actual practice you'll do to to worship God in your body? Is it going to be a couple of times of prayer? Is it going to be taking a Sabbath, maybe just four hours, or it's one evening, or it's time reading on the couch? I had a new mom say to me after the first service, I might just read for 10 minutes this afternoon, and that will feel like a Sabbath. Listen, I'm not judging you. I'm inviting you into these practice-based faith where you would practice making the Lord the leader of your temple. What is one practice you'll do this week in your body to worship God? Paul would say in Philippians 1, with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, an embodied faith. A go-kart track, I got wasted the first time around, just, just got pounded, got tra- lapped by everyone. And then one of the guys at the track, he's like, you know the secret? Tap the brakes. You can keep your foot on the gas, but if you tap the brakes in a race car, that gives you the actual speed to win the race. It's not just all gas all the time. It's a dance between acceleration and braking. And so may we as a church learn to pull off on the gas and practice resting that our temples would display the glory of God. Let's pray now. Jesus, thank you so much for this moment, for this commandment of scripture, for this reminder that you long to bring your spirit to dwell in our bodies that you call us to be practicing our faith in a way and that our body just feels different, that we're being changed, God. That power comes not from trying harder, but tapping into your power. So give us as your people practices in the week ahead to put this at work, to, to pause, to take our hand off the plow a bit, to rest a bit more in places of anxiety or despair or depression, to proclaim you that God, our, our bodies would be temples. Come and fill our temples, that we would encounter you in our bodies. We love you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Will you stand with us as we close in song? We're gonna sing a worship song, and as we do, that question kind of hanging over you. What's a practice you're gonna do this week to be reminded that the power is not yours? It's the power of the Spirit to dwell within your body. That Elijah story is pretty incredible in 1 Kings because after he had rested and ate and drank water, he took the 40-day journey to the mountain and God encountered him there. This is what we hunger for, that we would have an actual encounter with God in our bodies. So he's on the mountain and the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replies out of his exhaustion, his fatigue, he's like, I've been, I've been zealous for the Lord God. The Israelites, they rejected you. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me. And then the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord's about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the quaking. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. For many of us, we're asking to encounter the God in the momentous. And God says, I'll reach you in the minute. It's called seven minutes on Tuesday morning. I will break through if you will show up hungry and want more of your spirit, my spirit, in your body. 
after the earthquake came this fire, and after the fire came a whisper. And Elijah heard it, and he pulled his cloak over his face, and he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. When we're people encountering God's spirit in our body and pausing and resting and practicing encounter in prayer and in the scriptures, God says, I'll speak to you in really small ways, but you got to be ready to listen. Jesus, thank you so much that you're a God who changes everything. We ask, God, in faith that you would make our bodies temples, allow us to be reminded of that magnificent truth. For those in the room, God, with body shame and destructive past, God, would you free them from that slavery? God, for some of us that have just not had the chance to be seeking you the way we want, would you encourage us to seek you in new ways? And God, for the busy and distracted and, and just weary ones, would you meet our needs this week? Could we be like Elijah in your story and just through a friend, through a spouse, through a child, through a neighbor, through a coworker, could we receive a gift of water or food or rest? But Jesus, we want to be embodied people where your spirit is breaking through for your glory where we confess places we try to go it on our own, but today we lay our lives at the altar again to follow you. We love you. And all God's people said, amen. I want to say before we dismiss, if you want to pray, there's a few of us that would like to pray with you after service. If there's a special challenge you've been facing or something you want to glorify God, and now receive your benediction. May you, temple of the living God, may you experience his spirit. And there'd be this week, there'd be a pause, uh, moments, habits, just being with the God who made you. Just recenter from that place to go into the world. No shame, no guilt, no two practices are the same. Invitation. God's spirit is ready for you. Are you ready for him? Go in peace, church. We'll see you next Sunday.